Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys, welcome back to the Equipping and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today, I have my friend, Ernie Baker. Ernie, welcome. Uh, first time to the show. It's great to have you, man. Thank you, Dave. And I'm really thankful that we can uh, talk about what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, before we get to that, can you uh, catch tell us a little bit about yourself, your life, marriage, ministry? What are you working on ministry project-wise and some of those things? I would be happy to. I am uh, happily married, and um, that's a good thing to say, especially since the podcast is going to talk about marriage. And my wife is Rose. We have been married uh, 40 years and uh, working on uh, 41 years of ministry, and I'm very thankful for her. The Lord has blessed us with six children. Uh, Five of them are married. We now have 11 grandchildren and uh, very thankful for them. I am the pastor of counseling right now at First Baptist Church in Jacksonville, where Heath Lambert is the senior pastor. And uh, we have a lot of uh, ACBC emphasis here. I'm very thankful for that. Uh, We run a counseling center, um, 40 counselors. Uh, We're almost at 40 uh, certified counselors now. Uh, Most of our pastoral staff are certified, and uh, the great blessing for me is supervising them, mentoring them, and overseeing counseling, and then uh, also work with uh, the Master's University and chair the Bachelor of Arts uh, degree in biblical counseling, and it is growing. I'm very grateful for that, and the last I heard, we have about 150 uh, online biblical counseling students. Uh, As far as projects, uh, there are so many irons in the fire, but uh, ones that I'm really excited about. I'm working with uh, ACBC on uh, uh, on a committee with uh, thinking through domestic abuse and how to really help our counselors. And we'll be releasing some material this coming year uh, because unfortunately that's a growing issue. And then uh, hoping to do some writing this year for our church and maybe even get used broader it as a, a grief curriculum uh, for our church. Uh, we really sense a need for a good, really solid, biblical, uh, theologically sound um, grief curriculum. So that'll be a project coming up this coming year. Wow, you definitely uh, you definitely stay busy, brother. It's good to good to hear about uh, some of those things. You're right, domestic abuse. We, that's a that's a big issue that we need to talk yep. about as well. But um, could you tell us about these uh, two new books that you well, two new books to you know, to you and, and what you've released, uh, Mary wisely, very well and help. I'm in a conflict. Why, why'd you write both? And, um, how do you, how, how are they being received? Um, well, I'll start with the smaller one, which is help. I'm in a conflict. And that's part of a larger series uh, through shepherd press. Both are published by shepherd press. Very thankful for shepherd press and, uh, Ted Tripp and, um, Paul Tauchis, uh, he's the general editor of this booklet series, Help I'm in a Conflict. And unfortunately, uh, it sells a lot of copies. And, uh, you know, just because of the default we have toward 
relationship problems as humans. And uh, we know that uh, that started right in the garden uh, in Genesis 3. And then just uh, 20 some verses after the fall in the, at the beginning of Genesis 3, we have a birder a brother murdering a brother. And um, so that, you know, conflicts built right into humans right from the very beginning. So, uh, but I believe, and we believe the gospel makes a difference. So I wrote that little booklet to uh, exegete Ephesians 4, 1 to 3, and talk about the character traits that Paul talks about there, like gentleness, um, kindness, um, commitment to relationships. And then what happens through the power of the gospel to help people have healthy relationships to avoid conflict. And then if you don't, if you struggle with those character traits, what might be going on in your heart? Uh, If you speak harshly to people, you're not a gentle person, what might be served at the heart level? So that's what that little booklet's about. And uh, they all have the whole series uh, has personal growth projects built right into the back of them. So I think it makes it a unique contribution to the biblical counseling literature. And then Mary Wisely, Mary Well was released, I think it was about five years ago now. And that's a book for the target audience was singles, but a lot of parents have used it for discipling their kids. Uh, college classes use it in Christian liberal arts schools. Uh, college and career pastors use it in Bible studies. And it was a book answering two questions. One, how do I prepare, prepare myself for marriage even before being in a serious relationship? because I believe there's things you can be doing now to be wise in preparation. And then how do you make a wise choice of a spouse? Um, And those are, I think, really important questions. And I was trying to, as a marriage counselor, I've been doing marriage counseling for 40 years now, and I see a lot of devastation, uh, especially the devastation on marriages, uh, on children, I mean. And I was trying to help young people be wiser up front or help parents know how to disciple their kids or youth pastors or college pastors know how to disciple young people. It's all built around the uh, Proverbs 24, by wisdom a house is built, and then Proverbs 2, and unpacking what is wisdom biblically and what does that look like in making relationship choices. Uh, My favorite chapter is chapter 3, which is about why are you attracted to the type of people you're attracted to. And I, I tried to wrestle biblically with the whole idea of attraction and what is it biblically. So. That's a little bit about Mary Wisely, Mary Well. Yeah, that's those are those are really good resources. I encourage people to go uh, pick those pick those up. Uh, what what concerns you most about the state of marriage in the church today? Um, well, there's a lot of things that concern me about the state of marriage, but I think the biggest thing, and I really wish we were hearing more sermons on it, is the covenant nature of marriage, and that couples. Christian couples seem to have forgotten they made a covenant. And what a covenant is, uh, Malachi uh, chapter 2 discusses uh, covenant. Jay Adams many years ago defined marriage as a covenant of companionship. Proverbs 2 uses that terminology, covenant and companion, in the same verse. Malachi chapter 2 uses the same terminology, covenant and companion, in uh, Malachi 2.14, I believe it is. So uh, we're doing the best we can here to really remind people about the covenant they made. What does it mean? I discussed that in Mary Wisely, Mary Well 
to help young people understand marriage is for mature people. And so immature young people should not be getting married. Uh, they, they need to understand up front that they made a, they're making a covenant. And the way I define a covenant is that it is a sacred commitment to live in sealed allegiance to one another. And that's a definition I came up with based upon the Hebrew word bereath. And what is a covenant in the Old Testament? So uh, that's what I really think is going on is people are forgetting the covenant nature of their marriage. And then secondly, that there's always hope in the gospel. The the power of the gospel and the Lord working in Christian marriages can save any marriage. Uh, So there's always hope if if people are submitted to the Lordship of Christ and want to glorify him. Yeah, I think that's I think you just made a really significant point about marriage being covenant and and. To kind of go on the opposite side of it, I think the 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 reason that we have this is you have, uh, as we both know, this idea that well, I don't feel in love. I don't feel that I'm attracted. I don't feel like I can love that that person. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like you're saying, it's a covenant. It's it's a union for life <laughs> under God. Like you made that that commitment. It's marriage isn't about whether I. I am feeling like love, like <laughs> we both know, like there's times in our marriage, like I love my wife, but there's times when I don't feel that, you know, like, that's right. Uh, it's like, it's a difference. Like uh, now no, that doesn't mean like some people might hear that, Well, you don't love your wife. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying something else. I'm saying that at, at the time, like I may not feel like infatuated, like, um, you know, like when you first fall in love with somebody, you feel kind of infatuated. But as you you keep growing in your in your marriage, like in in a relationship with somebody with your spouse, like there's going to be times when you don't feel loving, or they don't feel loving, or you don't feel in quote unquote love, and and that's okay too. I don't think we talk enough about that. But it's not the thing. Is the point that I'm making is it's not about that feeling, and I think that you know that's part of the problem with this this whole idea is like i don't feel this way and we're such a feeling oriented culture so i think that i think that really gets to the heart of kind of some of what you were talking about you know our culture uh promoting the whole idea that you have to find your soulmate is uh and the way i tell what i say to young people is uh you don't find your soulmate you become soulmates through the years as you you bond more and more together and you become more and more one flesh. Uh, you you become soulmates. You don't find your soulmate up front. It's just there's so many myths that our culture is promoting. Yeah, that's really good. Well, you know, I, this is a large question. We could probably talk about this one for the whole time. But <laughs> how should married couples handle conflict in marriage? Yeah, it's, uh, I knew you were going to ask that question, and I. I was thinking, okay, what in the world do I say in 30 seconds? Uh, so uh, I'll, I'll just tell everybody about an, a fantastic resource. And I, I, my dream would be that every Christian couple would have it in their library. And it's called Peacemaking for uh, Families by Ken Sandy. And it, 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 it's not just a theoretical book. It's a like a how-to book. And in particular, I think it's chapter seven teaches a principle called the pause principle, not P-A-W-S, as much as I like dogs. Uh, It's P-A-U-S-E, and it's a procedure to work through for 
not just talking about your conflicts, but how do you actually bring the tensions to resolution? And the terminology we use in the Christian conciliation world is in a mutually satisfying way. So it's based upon Philippians 2, 3 to 5, look not out to your own interests, but also the interests of others, esteem others better than yourself. And uh, that's the you right in the middle of the word pause is understanding interests. So why is my spouse taking the position that they do on this issue? And I really want to understand why Rose is taking the position that she does. And then her explore, why am I taking the position I am? And then brainstorm mutually satisfying solutions. So uh, the pause principle is uh, a tool that Rose and I have used for probably 20 years. We've used it with our kids when they were teenagers uh, so that they would learn conflict resolution before they went into marriage. And um, we teach everybody, I've trained all of our counselors here how to use the pause principle. And if anybody's interested and they want to hear a little teaching on it, on our church website, fbcjacks.com, under biblical counseling, there's a section that says need help now. And if you click on that, there are some marriage videos that I recorded right at the beginning of COVID, uh, because I was really concerned about the spike in the divorce rate. And I recorded four short uh, videos to help give people tools for conflict resolution and um, just some other principles related. How do you have a stable marriage? But there are two videos on how to use the pause principle, and each one is about 10 or 15 minutes long. So in case that helps. Yeah, that's great. Great. I encourage people to check that out for sure. I think I think one of the big things that you're touching on in there is just zipping your lip and listening, um, yeah. not talking over, not trying to make your point over and above the person, which will always irritate your spouse. So guys, don't don't do that. OK, yeah. Stop. And don't retreat. On the other hand. Don't, you know, be an escape artist and just run either. Uh, you know, some people go on the attack and some people run and uh, don't, you know, learn to discipline yourself to ask good questions. Listen well. Chapter five of Peacemaking for Families is probably the best summary chapter on communication that I've read anywhere. And it's how to ask good questions, how to listen well, how to reflect back what you're hearing so that your spouse knows you're really focused. So, yeah. yeah. That's, that's really good. Really good. And what that, what that does, I think uh, when I talk with guys, what that does is it, it communicates love and care. Like you're yeah. actually invested and that's going to, that's going to repair any sort of over time. It's going to repair any, you know, broken trust that you might have with your spouse or, or anything like that. The other, the other big thing is I think we could probably talk about is just overlooking offenses um, and, yeah. and what that, what that looks like. Like when I talk about that, I think of, I think of not talking about it at, at not retreating from it, but just overlooking it. Meaning at that time when it's happened, I will most likely overlook it and then come back and be like, Hey, you know, maybe in the evening or maybe the next day and just say, Hey, Sarah, I, that's my wife's name. I, I felt that this is how you, what, what you said, how it made me feel, um, not how you meant it, but how it made me feel. And then she can hear that and she can clarify. And most of the time in, in, in my, um, you know, damn wittedness to, to, for, to put it better, <laughs> I perceived an offense where it wasn't meant as an offense. That's 90% of it. And, yes. and, and then she's able to share and I'm, and I'm having to practice what we're talking about listening. Okay. Uh, but can you, maybe even when she's done, I'll ask, Hey, can you, 
like explain a little bit more about that, you know, what you meant and, and that, and that helps to, you know, like you're talking about to resolve the issue peacefully, you know, so that there's, there's peace and harmony and, uh, and, and we should, we should be, we should be able to talk about these things. One of the things I think that we probably also don't talk about enough in marriage books today is having some sort of ground rules for how you're going to handle conflict. And, and I think that very simply looks different for every couple, but I think there's some basic things like, like you're saying, listening and and sharing and, you know, just really recognizing it's okay to walk away if you're upset, um, give permission and, and, and so many other, you know, things. But I, I think mm-hmm. some of these things are just, you know, they're really basic, but they're, they need to be implemented. Um, now, we are a relationally incompetent society. You know, we're technologically advanced, but because of that, with our noses and our cell phones, we don't even know how to engage in conversations and ask people questions. And I've found that for conflict resolution, two of the most important questions I can ask Rose or somebody that I'm having tension with when we have different positions on issues is what's your fear, what's your concern, and really try to understand what's motivating them to take the position that they are on the issue. And uh, they're very strategic questions. What, uh, you know, honey, why, what's your fear? What's your concern? And now once you understand my fear, and concern. Let's see if we can brainstorm um, finding some mutually satisfying uh, solutions to this issue. Yeah, it's really good. What does it look like for husbands to lead in forgiveness in their marriages? Uh, Well, that's such a good question. So the assumption here, so you, you said husbands lead. So let me just address the assumption, which is husbands are called to shepherd their family. And uh, I'm complementarian in my position, not egalitarian. So, uh, but there's an assumption that's coming these days with complementarianism that if you teach complementarianism, you are an abuser. And uh, that I'm very tuned into that subject because of that committee I'm on for ACBC, that we get that accusation that complementarianism just breeds domestic violence, etc. So uh, we have to clarify what we mean by lead and a husband being a leader. It, we're talking about a shepherd leader, and that's lost on our culture because we don't have a whole lot of shepherds. But uh, shepherds, by their very demeanor, are kind. Uh, they are gentle. They care about sheep and they care about their flock. Uh, their flock is the most important thing in the world to them. So as a shepherd leader, I am called to model um, all of these characteristics in my home with my wife, my children, when they were still at home, we're empty nesters now. So that's a whole new experience. Scripture warns me, Colossians 3, husbands, don't be bitter against your wives. And 1 Peter 3 reminds me, admonishes me, not just reminds me, admonishes me that I am to treat my wife with uh gentleness, kindness as a weaker vessel so that my prayers are not hindered. Mm. And that really motivates me to not have offenses between Rose and me. So I cannot allow bitterness to build up. So I need to be living in a just, you know, as Christians, we're called, I believe we're called to live in a state of forgiveness because of the degree of forgiveness we have received. I am to live with a mindset. I am so awed by grace. Nothing and this is it's going to sound like hyperbole, but it's not uh, theologically nothing any human could ever do to me 
and I'm thinking even of the worst offenses, nothing any human could ever do to me is worse than my offense against the holy God of the universe. And when I understand, and that's hard for people to get because there are some horrible offenses by others against even children and, or, you know, husbands against wives. And, but when I understand the depth of my sin against the holy God of the universe, Matthew 18 says, I should be willing to abundantly forgive other people. So I'm saying a lot there. There's a lot wrapped up in that, but husbands as in summary, husbands as shepherd leaders, if you don't want your hair or your prayers to be hindered, you have to remember you're not allowed to be bitter against your wife. And so as a shepherd leader, I have to be living out the truths of the gospel. And the truths of the gospel are we have been given lavish grace and nothing my wife could ever do to me is worse than my personal offense against the holy God of the universe. So I need to bathe my life with my wife and others in just living out forgiveness with people. That's so really, really, that's really, really good. I remember we were a few years into our marriage and here I am a Christian leader and sitting in my office and thinking, you know, about my wife and I fighting in the first few years quite a bit. And then I re- recognized here I am, I'm a Christian leader and I'm acting really selfish. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, as hard as it is to say, I'm not practicing forgiveness with my I'm leading in that. And that was really, really it got pretty warm in that room pretty fast. <laughs> and then, I bet it did. And then the conviction came down and then I slinked my way into the, into the bedroom where my wife was. And, and I specifically, and I'm saying that on purpose, specifically apologized to her. Yeah. Now she had a hard time at first with this idea. Um, it took some, it took a little bit of time, you know, now, mm-hmm. you know, We've been married. It'll been 15 years in February. And, and as she understands what I'm doing, like we've had these conversations over the, since then. But one time I was preaching on this idea and I used this story. I think I was preaching on uh, biblical eldership. And then I made an aside comment. Maybe you have to specifically apologize to your to your to your wives to your wife, excuse me. And the guy said, no way. My, my wife doesn't want that. I said, okay, what I want you to do after, after the <laughs> session is done, what I want you to do after this session is done is I want you to get on your cell phone, go, go to a quiet place. You call your wife and you ask her sweet, sweetheart. Do you want me to specifically apologize to you? I, I don't know if he ever did or not. He never told me, but I, I've used that example because I, I was shocked that there was a guy that would say he doesn't under- know that he should specifically apologize. It's like your wife. So I tell guys, your wife wants you to specifically apologize because it shows her that you're owning up to your stuff. Like, mm-hmm. you know, nobody wants to hear, Oh, I'm sorry. People don't want to hear like, I'm sorry. Well, what the, what is that? I mean, they don't mind that, but it, it's more, more effective. Like you're talking about, about what we talked about conflict. It's more, it's more, um, I don't know, socially, probably more socially ex- uh, appropriate as a Christian in Christian communication to specifically own up to it and just say, look, I am sorry for my failure in whatever the failure is. Um, and, you know, I'm God's working on me on this and um, I'm, I'm sorry. Will you, will you please forgive me? And what that shows is like, you're really sorry. You're, you're not just like, you know, glossing over anything or nothing, which is kind of how, you know, I'm sorry for, I'm sorry for this. It's kind of like, eh, you know, I think that's kind of a weak apology. I, I, I bet specifically apologizing, it shows genuine contrition. It shows 
that you really understand what, what's happened, that you've caused an offense, that you've hurt, and that you're grieving over the the the, the damage that's been caused. Um, so uh, in the same book, Peacemaking for Families, there's a great chapter on confession, just so everybody knows. And uh, as you were talking through that, I was thinking it's a tool called the seven seven A's of confession. And one of them is admit specifically. And First uh, John 1, 9 says that when we confess our sins to God, uh, God, he forgives our sins, forgives our sin and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And the word for confess there is to say the same thing about is what the Greek word means. And so we just need to be humble. And you're right, admit specifically and not just say, I'm sorry, but say, will you forgive me? Really good. Yeah. And that, what that does is I think what a lot of guys don't understand is if you, if you do that, they think if you do that right away, then your wife should immediately, you know, accept it. Well, you have to give her time Mm -hmm. to, to work through it just because you're at that place doesn't mean that your wife's at that place. That's right. You know, and I'll, and I'll be honest, like this was a big issue. There's a lot of reasons that you know, we don't have time to go into for that, but um, that was a big thing for me to learn to give her space to work through her and be okay. Not, she's not saying, I don't love you. I don't care about you. She was saying, I just need space to think. I need space to process. And, and will you love me enough to give me that space? That's right. And, and it's hard for guys to do that because, you know, we're control freaks. Let's just be, we're being honest here. And it's okay, guys, to give her your wife that space. Let her come back to you and let her, you know, work through it and talk to you about it. And what you'll find is this will help you. This will help you to deal with difficult people because you're going to more likely to be able to be patient with them. And it's it's part of our sanctification, you know, process. And uh, for for many guys, I know lots of guys that struggle with control. And you know, you talk about. I, I really appreciate. By the way, I didn't say this. I'm going to say I really appreciate how you answered about the abuse thing, because that that's that's like one of the biggest charges. And this is how we stop that. We we put that to a stop because I'm absolutely we're on the show. We talk about complementarian stuff all the time. Maybe not as much as we should. But I mean, we're absolutely complementarian as a ministry. And and, you know, that that right there, the abuse of any kind, it's never it's never been taught, never been supported. And and we have to, you know, absolutely shut that down. I mean, and, and we model that by doing some of the things that we're talking about here. That's right. Big amen to what you're saying. <laughs> amen. Amen to what you're saying, too, brother. What are what are some keys for couples to communicate well with one another? Uh, the thing I want to say about that again, I mean, there's whole books written on communication, but we live in a busy culture and we, the thing I have to really work with couples on is good relationships don't just happen. They're made to happen. And because of the fall, because of the degenerative nature of sin and what it's done to not only the planet, but what it's done to uh, us and our relationships, we have to be purposeful by the grace of God in investing in relationships. So all of that to say, uh, commu- communication implies time, and uh, you just have to make the time to talk. And one of the things that I do to try to be purposeful with Rose is when I get home from my office, I hang, she's usually around the kitchen area getting dinner ready or something like that. 
And I hang out with her and purposely hang out with her just to catch up on the day. And then while we're eating dinner together, we ask purposeful questions to each other. One of the ones that we normally ask is, what kids did you talk to? Or did you talk to any grandkids today? And so we catch up there. But then, um, you know, what what was the best part of the day? And uh, what the question we used to ask with our kids, I used to ask it a lot around the dinner table was, so what was the best part of the day? What was the worst part of the day? Uh, what caused you the greatest happiness today? What caused you the greatest fear or sadness today? And learning to discipline yourself to ask purposeful questions and take time. Good relationships don't just happen. They're made to happen. Um, asking those kind of questions sends a message that our marriage, our relationship is not just about function and accomplishing tasks but our relationship is actually about a relationship and I care about you as a person. So that's the main thing I would say is that in our busy culture, when people are looking at their cell phones, put the stupid cell phone away at dinner, just make a rule. We don't have our cell phones at the table and we don't answer text messages. We don't, unless it's an emergency, we are purposeful when we're together about asking questions engaging in relationship. Uh, we actually carry a little box of cards around with us from time to time that has 50 questions for husbands and wives to ask each other. And we carry it in the car with us to be purposeful. You know, things like what's your favorite memory from your childhood? Um, what's your favorite ice cream? Why? And uh, just things so that we're not just sitting there silently in the car, but we're being purposeful about conversation with one another. Mm. That's a few ideas. Yeah, that's that's really good. I, I remember when we lived in Idaho, this was now about four years ago, and we were coming and going. I was involved in in men's ministry, helping lead the men's ministry at our church, teaching every week, even doing hospital visits and and other things. And my wife was, you know, working and we were both working at the same uh, as well. So she would call she would leave about seven and then when she had worship uh, on Wednesdays or Thursdays, you know, she wouldn't even come home till nine or 10 and, and mm -hmm. the same for Wednesday. And, and this was a couple of days a week, you know, I was gone a couple of days a week and she was, gone. so we were coming and going. And, and when we, when we transitioned out of that and went to California, I said, I said, you know what, one thing that we really need to do, you know, I, we have a strong marriage, but we could be even better. And, and some of the things that you're talking about, I'm just illustrating some of the things that you're talking about because friendship, especially if you're in ministry is so important. I mean, yeah. we cannot, I mean, it's important in, in Christian marriage, but it's even I, I, I don't want to say it's more important, but it's it's so neglected and and just really key in on that because we we believe that the as complementarians we believe and we teach that you know as men especially you know our first ministry is to our home and to our families you know as that's right about, you know that's the first ministry not the second not the third not the fourth the first you know, well our first ministry is the love of the Lord you know availing ourselves of the means of grace and then you know just to clarify that. But, you know, and then out of that, loving our loving our spouse and our kids, if we have them in our family. But, yeah, it's it's so neglected friendship, you know, growing. And like you said, time, just take the time to talk. And like <laughs> I'll say it, I'll say it this way, you probably laugh. But, it, you know, if you want to stay out of the biblical counselor's office, if you want to stay out of your pastor's office and you want to stay out of church discipline, take take the time 
to avail yourself of the means of grace, prayer, Bible reading, etc., and then take the time to talk with your spouse. And, right. and more than likely, you're going to stay out of the the biblical counselor's office and the pastor's office, and they'll they'll be the happiest people in the world. You know? That's right. <laughs> Not because they don't want you there, but because you know, I mean, they're We've there got to plenty serve of work you. to do. <laughs> yeah, they're they're there to serve you, but you know, they want to see you doing well, and that's that's the biggest thing. What you're saying is the biggest thing to stay. That's how to stay out of it. It's just taking the time to talk and working yeah. through the hurt and the the pain and the whatever's happening and being understanding and gentle. Um, yeah. Oh, one thing one of my mentors said, what does your wife think about that? And I'm like, I don't know. What does she think about that? When he first would ask me that, I'm like, I don't know. What do you, what do, you didn't ask? No. And then I realized, okay, what he's asking is you better ask it first before that's right. You, better, you know, and that kind of addresses even the, the other thing that you were talking about, you know, asking, be intentional in those things. Where, where can people go to find out more about you online, on social media or otherwise, brother? Well, um, we have a pretty robust church website, fbcjacks.com. And under biblical counseling, that's my world. So uh, you would find out about, uh, I, there's articles there that I've written. Uh, there's videos there. There's a whole training section there. If anybody's interested in ACBC certification. We have the whole uh, phase one training there uh, on our website. So, and then my other world is uh, the master's university. So TMU online. And if you know anybody that uh, wants to do a bachelor's degree in biblical counseling, uh, check out the master's university. I love the master's university and uh, everything that we represent. Uh, we take discipling students very seriously uh, we're trying to equip the next generation to be biblical counselors. And interestingly, our our average age for an online student is not the typical undergrad. We are our typical age is 35. And uh, we also have a lot of veterans uh, that are or people actually active in the military. And the, one of the positive things our government money is doing is paying for uh, soldiers, sailors to do education. And so we have quite a few active duty people and quite a few veterans that are doing biblical counseling degrees. So TMU online. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, just as we wrap up this conversation, as I always say, uh, there's so much more that we could say. We're really only scratching the surface today. Uh, but uh, just as we wrap up this conversation, brother, do you have any takeaways for our listeners or those watching this? Um, I'm thankful for you. Thankful that you want to talk about the Bible and uh, that you want to be theologically accurate. And you know, scripture says that uh, my people perish for a lack of vision. And we know that that means uh, my people perish because they're not hearing from the Lord. And we believe the Bible is the living word of God. And boy, does our culture and world need truth spoken into it, the living word of God. Um, I believe that the darker the night, the brighter the light of God's word shines. And our culture is deteriorating right before our eyes. It's getting darker all the time. And uh, But we have the bright light of God's word and the gospel. And um, so even though the days are difficult, the ministry opportunities have never been better. So. Amen, brother. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And thank you also personally for being so encouraging to me. I, I really appreciate that about you. And so hopefully you have a great rest of your day. And thanks again for coming on Equipping You in Grace, brother. Thanks. Thanks for the invite. You're welcome.
Thank you for listening to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.